I fundamentally think that the way companies hire right now is just broken in the first place and could use a huge reset and a refresh from a blank slate. An interview is just a conversation. And most mishires come from people being great at conversation and terrible at execution. And so I think it should, it try before you buy is a much better model. Hey, we're interested in working with you. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, of course you can't, everything's about communication. Yeah. If you're on the same page, then why not engage them for like 10 hours of consulting work over the next two weeks, right? Yes, it's labor intensive, but you're actually gonna see what that person delivers, mm-hmm. right? And then that is a good process to be like, are they engaged or not, right? So nothing's perfect and there's always going to be trade-offs if you shake it up. But what I find happens in most companies I've joined is there's, instead of there being like a four-step process, it's just four first interviews. Welcome back to this, I believe the 16th episode of uh, the Startwell podcast called Gathering, where we try and kind of peel back the onion on the current state of teams and uh, and speak with people who support teams at all different types of organizations. So today I'm in studio with Martin Hawk, uh, who is at a company called the People People, People People Group. Yeah. So we're going to dig into what that means, but it sounds like, you know, there's some symbiosis in what we're doing with the gathering series and with, uh, with the kind of network that you guys have been developing. For sure. And so I'm excited to see, uh, well... So just dig into kind of what you do, who's part of the network, and uh, and and some of the backstory. Maybe we'll start there. So Martin, welcome to the studio. No, thanks for having me. This is uh, the most profesh studio I've been in. I'm I'm ke- like this is a, one of those like milestone moments in life. Wow! I remember my first uh, business trip, like via airplane, mm-hmm. and I just had this like moment on like the escalator that's flat. I don't know what those are called. Sure. And I was just like, oh. And like this is another moment. Like I'm like, oh, this is is cool because I've done podcasts, but never this legit. Here, let's both do this, man. Let's pat yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I there will. you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And honestly, I mean, you know, this is the thing about business, right? Is that those evolutionary steps? At least my experience, uh, you know, in my 30 plus years in business, is that every time you reach one of those milestones, whatever that is, mm. you realize that you know for the most part, the distance between them is almost like not relative. Mm. But I don't want to get philosophical. Let's talk about (laughs) what you do, man. All right. Okay, cool. Um, To clarify, by day, I am the head of talent at Caseware. And Caseware is uh, a global audit and accounting software SaaS platform. And I lead a team of eight recruiters. Mm -hmm. By night and Wait, weekends. Wait, so how big is that organization if you That's have eight six, recruiters? 600 people uh, globally, majority of them in Canada. It's been a Canadian organization for 30 plus years. Uh, if you're an accountant or an auditor, you know the name inside and out, and you use the tool every day, and mm. you put it, you put caseware as a skill on your resume. That's pretty epic. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um and by night, yeah, I've I've got the people people group by early morning and by night, and when I'm not being a dad and when I've got time on the weekends, uh, I'm trying to grow this little thing called the people people group. Yeah. So you are a career professional in HR. Yes, I've spent the last ten years in recruitment, and prior to that, I spent ten years in 
sales and management for industrial and construction supplies when I sold nuts and bolts. So it's a literally, very literally very nuts life. and bolts. Yeah, literally nuts and bolts. Yeah, uh, I can point out buildings in the city where I'm like, yeah, I probably put my hands on those hardware and that fasteners. That's epic. Yeah. What uh, I guess what what led you to the the whole people people thing? Not not like either way. I mean the the people people group, but yeah. also working in human resources. Um, well, I fell into that. So in the industrial space, uh, I won't go too far back, but basically got recruited to be a recruiter for the industry I'd spent seven, eight years in. Okay. Cause you knew that industry. Yeah. So you... it's easier for me to call up an account manager and shoot the shit with them and talk about their day to day versus, Oh, I don't know anything about your industry. Why am I going to pick up the phone or respond to your email kind of thing? Right. And back then like cold calling candidates was legit. It's still, still a thing that happened. Um, and so I got recruited to be a recruiter and, uh, loved it. Didn't know I was going to love it. And then went off, started my own recruiting firm after that and, uh, realized nobody was taking me seriously cause I wanted to get tech clients mm. and I was only doing industrial stuff like plumbing companies and whatnot. And, uh, one person took a chance on me at a tech company. It was like, we're not going to use your services. It was a sales call that turned into an interview. And I was like, well, if you let me keep doing my, you know, recruitment on the side, I'm, I'm happy to join. And like, you're not going to have time for it, but sure. He was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was right. So I spent a year with Wrangle, got into tech, and I had an awesome- Oh, Wrangle.io. Yeah, Wrangle.io, yeah. Oh. And uh, I spent about, I think it was nine months. Um, so they taught me how to be a technical recruiter. They taught me how to hire developers. And I started learning about Scrum and Agile and all that fun stuff. And I had an awesome colleagues, uh, Avery Francis, who's built out her own agency and is just doing incredible stuff. She's the she's a host of Girl Boss podcast right now. Um, is and, she from Bloom? Yeah, she's from Bloom. Okay, yeah. we had yeah we had one of her team members on uh, from Emma, Bloom. Emma Hunt. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was sitting where you're sitting in the hot seat. In the hot seat. No, Emma's Emma's awesome. Um, shout out to Emma and, and Avery. And so I got a chance to work with her. And then when I got recruited out of Wrangle to the next company, StackAdapt, mm -hmm. oh. it was sort of a lonely, lonelier because I didn't have as many colleagues. Uh, that's here in Toronto. That's here in Toronto, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so I didn't have somebody I could like turn my chair to and say, hey, what do you think about this situation? Mm -hmm. Or I've got a candidate that's you know ghosting me, or I've got a candidate with crazy competitive offer. What would you do? Um, and so at the same time, I was in all these other communities because I was recruiting people from those communities because I would keep tabs on who's talking about stuff and which which developers are most active in the Toronto JS community or the Design X community. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's got to be something for HR. And there wasn't. And I put a LinkedIn post up and 50 people responded saying like, hey, I'd join this if it was a thing. And I kind of dragged my heels a bit and kind of didn't really think anything of it and then mm -hmm. added all 50 people into some random Slack community with a terrible logo. And six years later, we've got 3,300 members and we've got folks from all over the world in the community and no idea that it was going to get to where it is now. So, And what do you think is that, that driver of the kind of organic interest in, in community development within people, people? It's, it's very organic. Um, I feel very grateful and blessed because it wouldn't be 
what it is today if it wasn't the people in the community driving it. Because if I had to come in and drop articles and... If you're dr- pushing that content constantly, yeah. like, I mean, this is kind of what we're doing and also why, why this series exists is mm-hmm. really to raise stage to the voices of the community. Um, and again, taking that note from Startwell's early days of peer-to-peer mentorship. So right. if the stories can be not only compelling from people's experiences uh, in you know, this wide world of team support uh, and development, then, you know, I think people can, can learn a lot from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think people want to teach each other. I know people want to teach each other. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that, like for myself, at every company I've ever been, if I find a cool new thing, I'm actually more interested in teaching everybody else about that cool new thing than actually doing my job sometimes. It's right. kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, and there's other people out there in every diff- in every profession, and those people are the ones, like, if you get, and I think that was kind of why it kind of took off, was because we just happened to have a bunch of those folks join the community early on, because mm-hmm. th- they were looking for it in the first place. Um, so yeah, it's it's been pretty organic. We haven't really done any, it's always been word of mouth. There hasn't been any, like, marketing push or sales dollars or Instagram campaigns or anything like that. And what? Uh, okay, so let's talk about this. So it's it's a it's a Slack community. Yep. Uh, are, are there any general demos that are in your head in terms of you mentioned it's mainly here, but there are global people. Yeah. Um, what's that dispersion look like? Is it mainly people in Toronto? Is that eighty percent, ninety percent? Yeah, I would say eighty, ninety percent is Toronto based. Uh, I would say there's a big chunk of folks out in Vancouver, Montreal, then you've got uh, Alberta, Calgary, or Edmonton, Calgary. Uh, some folks on the East Coast, and then we've got a bucket of folks from New York, a bucket of folks from SF, a um, few folks from LATAM. We have like, uh, there was this one crazy push, and we had like 50, 60 people from Nigeria just reach out and, and join the community. And some of them have immigrated to Canada, and I, I think it just kind of came up in topic of com- conversation in another this community. This thing exists. You can this, meet some people. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then we've got a, b- a bunch of folks sprinkled across Europe. Uh, I love this. Well. I love hearing about digital communities that are like organic because it's kind of the beginnings of the internet, you know, like IRC in my yeah. mind, that was the internet. More important than the web was yeah. internet relay chat for me. Yeah. Jump into a chat room, you jump on a server, that server might only be available, I mean, back in the day for yeah. a couple hours, you know, and that's when you can connect with people and, and, and normally it was topical, you know. Um, so what are the kind of themes that people are generally, you know, interested in, in your community? Yeah. Uh, well, we have two main channels. One's HR and one's recruitment. And that kind of tackles it. And we opened it up to operations. And so we've got operations, like we have some chief of staff type profiles and we have operation manager. Uh, but it still kind of circles back towards anything re- people ops. Mm-hmm. If you're in people operations, uh, that's those are the topics that are typically being covered. So I would say right now, you know, obviously at the beginning, it was a huge resource for folks from a pandemic perspective. How are you, how is your business handling approaching the pandemic? What are the rules that you're, you know, and policies are that you're- From a safety standpoint. Imposing on on your workforce. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation around that. That's obviously migrated. Uh, one of the more popular topics right now is sort of international recruitment, right? There's a crazy economic- downturn that's looming potentially mm-hmm. recession is just constantly talked about and so a lot of companies are 
redeploying their recruitment strategies in an international way because they're capitalizing on the work from home aspect and the remote aspect. So that's a whole era. I've gotten so much sponsorship interest from companies that support those models where it's like, okay, you don't have an entity in Colombia or you don't have an entity in uh, Poland or anything like that. So we can support you as an employer of record, or we could just make it easy. So you're paying these people compliantly. So you don't have to think about it. So there's all of those companies just popped up out of nowhere and have, mm. have expressed a lot of interest. There's, there's a ton of topics. Um, but yeah, it's, it's usually around like less on the recruitment. Like, how do I do this? Most when it's, when we're talking about talent acquisition and recruitment, it's usually, you know, where can I get information on compensation? for this specific profession or what are people seeing in terms of like market conditions or are we having, you know, is it really difficult to hire DevOps for you right now? Yes. It's really difficult for, you know, that yeah. those types of conversations. So some of it's like consolation and camaraderie. Mm -hmm. So like finding people that work in the same space as you that you could just kind of like be humans together about. Yeah. And then the other side of it is like standards and best practice. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting. I mean, like, with every guest that comes on the series, we're talking about how, in a way, um, it's a weird profession to get into. Typically, people get into human resources with an interest in people. Yeah. And they want to see people succeed, and they like being around people. Yeah. At the same time, there's almost, in some organizations, there's this kind of isolatory, like, function to that job. You're bringing people in. You're unfortunately maybe responsible for communicating them leaving a team. Mm -hmm. um, and then w while the teams are together, your responsibilities may actually have you being taken away from interacting with people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's an interesting, you're on an interesting island. You have to set, uh, on, the, on the HR side, and I see HR and talent acquisition as partners, but mm -hmm. they're very different. There are some startups that, like, hey, we we hire an HR person that does recruiting as well. They mix so the roles, yeah. Very difficult to do that well. And there are people that do it well. They also don't sleep. <laughs> and they're, they're very different functions. And so I think from a recruitment perspective, if I hired you into the company and things weren't working out, you're not looking at me saying this is your fault. Unless I'm a terrible recruiter and I just promised a bunch of things that, you know, didn't come true kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But on the HR side having done that role for, you know, two years out of the 10 that I've been in this kind of like space, um, like formally, there is this like, at some point I have to keep it focused at an arm's length because at some point I'm going to, I might be called in to dismiss you or we're mm -hmm. going to have to go through some performance conversations or whatever. And it just makes that, so there is that need for community because there, who else are you going to talk to? Especially like, for example, another topic was layoffs, right? Mm. Layoffs was just something that folks have needed a lot of support on because, hey, I'm being asked to conduct a layoff and I've never done it before. And, you know, for a company's brand and reputation to put that responsibility in the hands of someone who's never done it before, but also understanding that the business is moving so quickly and has to react to that circumstance in that moment you're not typically bringing in consultants to do that. You're just, all right, we're going to work on this as a team. And so folks are coming into the community and saying, like, how do I do this? Mm. Uh, and leaning on support from from peers and, and mentors within the community. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm sure, been a crazy time for in the last couple of years for all of these topics. And, and the other side of it is 
And one thing we're hearing a lot, of course, is like, you know, this distributed workforce and remote work and how people that are in charge of people at organizations may never have dealt with this idea of like, how do you coordinate and facilitate coordination of communication between team members that are now in different time zones? Yeah. You know, deliverables change or have to change or how they deliver content and, you know, whatever work to each other Mm -hmm. if you're across time zones. And then there's, um, there's also a tool set of, uh, of technical tools that a lot of people were scrambling in the last couple of years to figure out what their tech stack for their organization was. And they don't, might not, you know, in this space, they might not be very tech savvy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure that kind of content was also something that, that came up in the community. Yeah. Those, those, those tools have blown up as well, for sure. Did you find um, that there was turnover within the community or at least people going through their own uh, job changes? Yeah. And yeah. Shifts? But right now, specifically, to be honest with you, it's, it's really tough for talent acquisition. And like HR... Less so, but the amount of recruiters that are joining the community looking for recruitment opportunities because companies are tightening up their belts. They're responding Mm. to the economic circumstances and the first thing to go. If if the first thing to go is hiring, then we don't need as many recruiters, right? And uh, that's that's perfect. That's across the board. Even, Even in theory, if the business doesn't actually need it, Companies are still tightening their belts and saying, like, we're just going to... Outsource it. Outsource it. Uh, we're going to go with fractional support as opposed to full-time support. We're going to go international. There's there's a million different ways. They're just... Folks are tightening their belt because they're scared of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure even the means of... Uh, on the talent acquisition side of things... Like, yeah. I've wondered about this, okay? The way I look at it, talent acquisition is sales in some ways. Or a yeah, big part absolutely. of it is sales. Yeah. And... Um, lead discovery there's no particular database of people that are saying hey i'm looking for a job i'm i want to post myself as someone who's hireable at least i don't know about that there are there are there's a there's too many to keep tabs on it in a good way like nobody's really like linkedin hasn't crushed that yet right so you're right about it but like for example a good friend of mine adam gellert he has a platform called hired hippo Oh yeah, hired hippo. Okay, you can definitely do what you're talking that's about. Local. On that. That's a local. That's local, and you could do that. But to to your to the point about like it's local, mm-hmm. it's not global yet. I think the concept somebody's going to get it right. Somebody's going to, you know, hopefully Adam gets it right in terms of like it becomes global and it becomes adopted. But LinkedIn hasn't figured out that like they've they've got the profile picture with the the yeah. green swirl, but that's. That doesn't do anything. You're available. Yeah. But <laughs> for what, how, exactly. why, how much, all that metadata could easily be yeah. established in the platform. Yeah. Um, so what is the process typically? Like, what does it look like? If you have to find someone for a job mm-hmm. and you're searching, you're looking for the best candidate, maybe it's someone that already has a job. Is this typically the approach? Yeah. Well, in the startup tech space, uh, the the assumption, you, it's an inbound, outbound approach. So you're going to have your hands in both pots. Like the outbound approach is I'm going to post a job and I'm going to see what comes in. I'm going to keep an eye on the folks applying, right? I would say it's a, you know, 
1% of the candidates that apply are worth, you know, 5% of the candidates applying are, are worth having conversations with. And of that 5%, maybe 50% of them are, are worth introducing to, to the hiring manager, right? Mm -hmm. On the outbound approach, uh, where you're reaching out to folks from whatever means, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, AngelList, whatever social media or online platforms available, uh, you're tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey, I like what you've presented here. Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation and, and see if what you present matches further and you can kind of double click on that. And, and so the cost of external recruitment agencies, which typically charge 15 to 20% of the base salary, just made it simple for companies to say, well, why don't we just hire someone to do what the recruiter internally is doing? Because we made, we, we did 10 hires with an agency. We could make, if someone does five hires, that pays for that person. If they do 25, which is entirely possible, we've, we've tripled the, the ROI on that. So it's an interesting proposition. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's also interesting to me is the where those people come from to fill that role. From like a talent hire, acquisition perspective? Or? Yeah. How do you hire someone to hire someone? <laughs> yeah. So to your, I think you mentioned it earlier, like there is, you don't go to school for talent acquisition. You don't go to school for recruitment. Um, there's a lot of interesting kind of common talent pools for recruitment. Uh, I would say hospitality is an awesome uh, is an awesome candidate pool for sort of like career transition folks. Like, hey, I want to get into tech. I don't know what I want to do in tech. I just know I want to get into tech. Well, if you want to be a recruiter, if you're down to kind of go down that career path, hospitality is great because mm -hmm. the candidate experience translates to the customer experience and any type of sales, obviously, because you're pitching a company. You know, my conversation with candidates when I when I'm a hands-on recruiter, which I haven't been for a bit, but when when I was, I'm 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 basically selling the same thing. Like my script is the same. I'm just pivoting the script to highlight the points that are most interesting to the candidate. If I'm if I'm interested and I want to sell to them, I'm obviously not going to sell too hard, but I want to make sure I'm connecting the dots that are important to them. So I'm learning about their career and figuring it out. So. Curious people. I mean, that's a really super vague, like, how do you measure or mm -hmm. assess someone's curiosity? But I think infinitely curious people make great recruiters. Um, I think folks that have, like, a hospitality mindset or have come from, like, fast food or, you know, uh, I've hired folks from, from Starbucks who were general managers that just, like, get shit done and make sure people are leaving our establishment with a smile on their face. It's the same concept with recruiting. Right. Even though, and I think it's a little bit more important that pe everybody have a good experience because 99.9% .9 of the people that you interact with, you're giving them bad news. You're saying, hey, sorry, we went in another direction. Mm -hmm. Or you're, you're trying, you know, and the further down the line a candidate goes in terms of the process, the more invested they become, the more emotional it gets. And if you're releasing someone from the process or you're saying, hey, listen, we're not going to hire you, and it's the fourth round and they've invested four or five hours, your company's reputation is in that person's hands. And if you're a B2C company, that's very important. If you're B2B, still important too, because that person could turn around to be a buyer eventually. Right. So. 
Yeah, I just uh, spoke with someone yesterday who was telling me they went through 17 interviews for a position. That's insane. It was one that they really wanted. And it involved them flying to like five different cities in the States to have one-on-ones with particular people in the organization. And I was like, that's a lot. It seems um, a little bit broken. Yeah. That's crazy. Did they get it? They got it. That was good. Yeah, they got it. They became... Yeah, they became the country lead of this particular company, and, and they're happy with it. And it's, it's a senior role. Then, yeah. Senior role, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Customer service stuff. You know, I mean. It's so funny, because on the flip, like, yeah, I mean, every company has their own culture. For me, when I find someone as an employer who, uh, you know, really, who just seems like they have an appetite for expansive thinking and for kind of functionally owning a role, but then really outgrowing it in a sense as quick as they can Mm. by building up others you know i love that i'm like okay one interview (laughs) seriously yeah throw you into it and if you're cool with understanding that it might not work out then let's try it out yeah um but not every in fact very few organizations kind of from day one have that dialogue i find with candidates to say I would say a lot of large corporations assume that, you know, the shortest period of, of tenure would be like six to 12 months for a candidate. Yeah. Whereas right now, I mean, in the current climate, it seems like people in their 20s are kind of seeing that as their career. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. career, but yeah. they're looking for that as a maximum tenure at a company. Yeah. And companies are looking at it as a minimum tenure. Yeah. So it's interesting, but I, I think there's a lot of value in the next decade for organizations to start thinking of a try before you buy kind of model for hiring. Yeah. yeah. And being very vocal and, and open with candidates about that. Do you think that makes sense? No, absolutely. I think uh, an interview is just a conversation. And most mishires come from people being great at conversation and terrible at execution. And so I understand why companies ask people to put together a pitch deck or a presentation because they want to see the work and it comes from a good place, but the market's been so competitive that if you're not the candidate's primary, like top three companies, they're probably just not going to do the work, Mm -hmm. right? So it's prohibitive. So you don't even want to include that part of the assessment process. But to your point, like I would, I mean, this is, I fundamentally think that the way companies hire right now is just broken in the first place and then could use a huge reset and a refresh from a blank slate. What are the things that make them broken? <clears throat> well, first off, it most companies are just interviewing people through conversation. And again, that proves nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Just because I'm extroverted and charismatic doesn't mean I'm going to do my marketing demand gen job well, right? Um, and and so I think it should, it try before you buy is a much better model right? Hey, we're interested in working with you. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, of course you can't, everything's about communication. Yeah. If you're on the same page, um, then why not engage them for like 10 hours of consulting work over the next two weeks, right? Yes, it's labor intensive, but you're actually going to see what that person delivers, mm-hmm. right? And then that is a good process to be like, are they engaged or not? Right? So nothing's perfect. And there's always going to be trade-offs if you shake it up, but what what I find happens in most companies I've joined is there's instead of there being like a four step process, it's just four first interviews. Right. Right. It's so like get them in. They'll figure it out. They'll learn trial by fire. Yeah. And 
also, it seems to be a recurring theme as I talk to more people in this space that for large corporations, actually, you know what? It's not even large corporations. I've seen it firsthand here at Startwell on campus with like 10 person startups that yeah. are rapidly scaling. Um, and they're moving so fast. So either an organization is going to move so slow that the functional expectation of a new hire is very low that the red flags don't get raised for a long time. Yeah. Or, you know, and typically people are left to their own devices and their jobs. And part of the kind of like settle yourself in expectation is for large corporations on one side is going to be like, here's a document or a set of documents or some training materials mm. that are like how to not cut yourself with a butter knife. <laughs> yeah. And you onboard through that and spend the next month doing it. And once you do those things and someone gets a notification that you've done it and then they'll have a conversation with you. So they're, they're just the architecture of, of onboarding is very, very slow. Yeah. And then the self onboarding expectations are kind of not, let's say measured. Um, and then on the other side, you've got these like rapidly scaling organizations, whether they're funded or not startups that are like, we have jobs for a thousand people. Uh, but we only have 10. So everyone has to do 100 people's job. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll hire to kind of like, you know, swap out and, and not to make anyone's burden easier, but to like, everyone has to go, 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 because there's so much to get done. Yeah. Um, so, and I, what we find is that on the startup side of things, there can be an over expectation on functional output. Um, and they're kind of like, let's park the culture until we reach series C, you yeah. know? Don't think about culture. Don't think about marketing for organizational structure and, and, and function. Let's just focus on, you know, pushing product yeah. and retaining customers and keep going, 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 yeah. going. And that's maybe where a lot of the kind of recent problems, especially for, for large funded organizations have been is, you know, the, the directive even to the HR internal HR staff hasn't necessarily been to facilitate the culture piece. No. And one of the other things I would say is that as a company scales, their needs in the persona change dramatically. So if a 10-person startup is going to need and want a scrappy generalist that's willing to roll up their sleeves and do whatever it takes for mm -hmm. the mission, but once you get to a 150, 200-person company, or whatever the number is, at some point you're going to be like, it's great, this person's willing to do everything, but they don't know anything deep enough or they don't know what we need them to know now deep enough. Mm -hmm. And so the learning and development piece just is not a thing that's being considered in an effective way in the startup culture and community where it's like you have to do a really good job of learning development to help that person get to where they need to be. Otherwise, they just bounce between startup to startup to startup because they're the builders, right? They're the they get the foundation set up. And then at some point, the company says, OK, we need a specialist because we need somebody that knows how to do SEO or whatever the thing, whatever the gap at the moment is, right? But forcing people into, you know, and the role changes for them as well. So their their happiness in, mm -hmm. in the role changes also. So It's a tough thing because you bring people in, they've got stuff to do. Maybe they perform well, they do that stuff. Um, and if you're moving too fast as an organization to your top line goals, you don't really focus on this, like, what else can everyone do? You know, it came out in one of our episodes where we were talking about one, with one of the guests um, this notion of, and maybe this is something you can speak to from from even the uh, topics that are being discussed on your ch on your channel on your Slack, but like 
one of the interesting ideas is, you know, going around is this four day work week, right? Mm. Came up with Jay Goldman actually from um, Sensei Labs. Yeah. And so Jay was saying, we've moved to the four day work week. We did the trial as part of that whole global uh, network of, of companies that were doing it. And they found a lot of success and they found that, you know, in their off day, they would coordinate it. So there is a, a general off day. Mm-hmm. I think it was Friday. Um, other people can use their physical real estate during that. So they, they give it to like uh, youth educators and stuff. Uh, so there's the kind of a cultural benefit where, you know, people can donate time to help that function or they can literally be away from the office and turn off their phone. Yeah. Um, but then also the kind of conversation evolved into talking about this idea of maybe not taking a fifth day off or whatever day off and instead saying that's a free day to do your own project. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is a big question right now, I think, floating around of in, in HR of um, side hustles and how corporates yeah. enable that, encourage that, turn a blind eye to it. Uh, what are you hearing about side hustles and can side hustles be an opportunity for companies to incubate innovation? I think it's a huge opportunity, but I think it's so innovative and foreign that larger organizations don't know how to handle it. Because there's no, there are companies that do it and support it. I forget, like, like Google. Google has the, yeah. So that exists. Uh, so you've got this entire organization of uh, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? Entrepreneurship. Um, a lot of people have great ideas and they want to work on them and that's kind of what fills their cup. So if your fifth day, you get to, if, you know, the project that you're working on for the time being is uh, not filling your cup, at least your fifth day, you get to work on something that you enjoy and you still associate that with the culture and the company that you're a part of. So it kind of offsets, you know, the monotonous work to a certain extent. There hasn't been a lot of conversation around the side hustle piece in terms of like whether or not it should be a thing or how should companies kind of approach it. Uh, there has been a lot of conversation around the four day work week piece and, you know, there's a lot of interest. We, we, we did a workshop with, uh, Jamie Savage from the leadership agency, uh, and she just flipped, uh, they went, and not just uh, like recently, uh, they went to a four day work week and she basically just taught the entire community and the, and the folks that were interested in learning how they went about it, what are the pros, the cons and all that fun stuff. Hmm. And, and so that conversation's popular. Um, not all companies are in a position to support it or want to support it, but kind of giving the, uh, given the fact that compensation and inflation has just gone bananas, uh, rather than paying people more, giving people time off and still paying them the same amount, there is a, a loss in, say, productivity to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But the numbers are showing from all this report and the global research that like giving, that, giving people that extra day is actually making them more productive during the four days. It makes up for, more than makes up for that exactly. day off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been in, it's been interesting. Like, I haven't heard negative things about, I haven't heard overly negative, like, yeah, you don't execute it well. Well, there's always that. Um, but nothing's really pointed me like, okay, I would avoid that if I had the opportunity to roll it out. Well, just with it, without the um, without the kind of like methodology behind it, it was a practice that got adopted just a few years ago with the you know the oil sector bust in 
um, Alberta. Mm. You know, definitely Edmonton is more like resilient with its government employment base being large, you mm-hmm. know, but in Calgary, when the oil companies started tanking, you know, uh, just before the pandemic, a couple of years before the pandemic, and the tar sands were kind of non-viable and all this stuff happened, almost every company went to a four-day work week hmm. and slashed salaries or did this as a means of not slashing the total salaries and saying, look, we're going to keep you on, hmm. but we can't afford to pay you the fifth day. They cut the salary of the fifth right. day. Um, and, and from all the companies I've talked to out there, um, most everybody was saying that, you know what? Everyone was happier because they didn't care about the money. They were just out in the mountains for the extra day. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're in their canoe, they're skiing. Uh, that's also a different context. Like Albertans are kind of yeah. more like that. But um, but I think it's interesting. I think especially where people are um, in high f- performing uh, roles, they need breaks. Yeah. And then also on the counterbalance with large corporate kind of entanglements, sometimes people just need pause from belonging to that organization through the week. Yeah. You know, so there's, it's a very binary approach to you're either working five days a week or, you know, we're not interested in you kind of thing. Yeah, and like, it's cool to hear that they did that. But to your, to your point, like if you're a high performer and you've just been working six months in a grind to close a deal, you're like, Hey, listen, I need a sabbatical and and that's not going to work for you. But how about I take two months where I just work three days a week and you can recharge and refresh so that when the next big deal comes along, that you're, you're set up for it versus that person just ultimately burning out. Mm-hmm. Then misplacing the blame on the employer saying, I hate this place, fuck them. And then leaving. And then that employer loses a great person when instead it's just like, Hey, let's take a look at the human, <laughs> right? Figure out what they need. And scale back, and most companies can't do that. Like it's not; it's just so foreign to them. Like I'm, I'm not saying like even even my current employer. Like I don't know that we would look at that because it's there's so many other things to tackle. But kind of kind of going back to the piece, like I think the way we look at work is very broken. I think what's positive of the future of work is we're starting to look at these ideas more seriously. We're having the conversation now. Two, three years from now, there's going to be more companies doing like, maybe it's not a four-day work, but maybe it's like a flexible work week Mm -hmm. or gig work and contract work is going to become more popular as well. So we're definitely seeing with distributed work and remote work here at Startwell where, you know, like the main function of this place, we've talked about this off camera, right? Like Mm. that, uh, we do the media stuff. We do a lot of media production stuff, but outside of that, for the most part, as we started as a co-working space in 2017, we've actually taken a lot of like office space off the menu and converted it into meeting space because we are facilitating um, and not facilitating the sense of hands-on led sessions, but we're kind of enabling uh, team gatherings. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of those are working days and like where teams that are distributed don't have an office are coming together in person once yeah. a month, once a week, once a quarter. Um, and they find it so much, you know, so much value out of that because a lot of it is just socialization. Like they come together yeah. to be like, oh yeah, I forgot about you as a person. <laughs> Cause no one likes being on zoom, you know, no one likes being on like video calls No, and it's exhausting. it's exhausting and being tapped in all day with other people through collaboration software. Very difficult. When you're in the office, you get moments of privacy, you know, for the yeah. most part in office work, white collar work. Um, 
so it's very interesting. But yeah, yeah, we are seeing that the way that organizations are approaching this distribution, and now you know so many companies in Toronto alone, which I'm surprised it took this long. But that's me because I'm always thinking of innovation. <laughs> so many companies, though, that you know, from Fortune 50 companies to startups, are choosing these. Uh, seeing them, I think through last year it was like tests to do these like, you know, in-person days. Yeah. But now we have bookings that are six months out, you know, where companies are committing to it through next year is the way that they work. Yeah. So that's a big flag for change. Yeah. I think that's being waved. I have like this quasi-conspiracy theory that like most companies, even at the highest levels, aren't willing to do something crazy or innovative until a big player does it and then they just copycat it. Mm-hmm. Right. Looking at like controversial, I guess, but Elon Musk and what he's doing with Twitter. I was like in my head, I was like, he's either going to say Elon <laughs> Musk or Kanye West. Yeah. One of those. Uh, yeah. What he's do, what he's doing with Twitter and how he's going about it, I don't agree with. But there's some interesting aspects to some of his arguments in terms of, OK, so the Tesla team engineering's 150 people. And that handles the responsibility of people's lives. How is it that Twitter has 3,000 developers, right? And, you know, my heart goes out to the folks that are impacted by this, these crazy changes. But I think those actions are making all the other executives in, doesn't matter if it's tech or not, look at that from a business perspective and say, hmm, can I do that? As opposed to people being brave on their own and just saying, hey, we're going to be innovative and we're going to try this crazy fucking idea, mm-hmm. right? So people are always, I, I feel like most businesses are waiting, whereas like the truly innovative companies are because they just take a bold step and they do it. Four-day work week's not an innovation thing anymore. It's a copycat thing, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. And I think for me, my lens on it is in part paralleling, you know, the culture of public companies. Uh, and the responsibility chain at the top to the shareholder uh, and communication resulting thereof, um, you know, on one side. And then on the other side, if it's going to be two identities, the kind of like agile startup that has to like grow by all means, mm-hmm. otherwise it's dead. Yeah, I think it's far too many public companies don't understand cash flow. Like they just don't. And, <laughs> and so many of them, and I've been in there, you know, I've been in, 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 in the belly of the beast of some organizations <laughs> Uh, when I had my cor- my days in corporate, <laughs> um, we're essentially like large behemoth, even if they're tech companies, but they've been around for a hundred years, they only can grow through acquisition. And there's this whole yeah. thing of like, you know, acquire companies to buy your future and your current state and then carry a ridiculous amount of debt. I mean, even the, some of the most innovative public companies that are doing amazing things to change an industry, like our friends, Netflix, they're not cash flow sustainable. Yeah. You know, so I think that that kind of like, you know, like financially bloated company that's not earning enough to carry that status, um, unfortunately lends itself or has culturally in North America lent itself over the last three, four, five decades to being slow moving, to being like, let's carry a lot of fat because if we don't, if we start trimming it, we have to answer bigger questions. 
you know, and, and the Elon Musk is interesting because it's like, okay, so a dude comes in and he's agile and he's like, this is my thing and I can do whatever I want with it now. Yeah. Starts trimming the fast, starts saying, well, this has to be leaner. We need to drive up revenue somehow. Um, but at the same time, while all this is happening, the threat of bankruptcy is looming. Mm. And it was probably looming before he came into it, you know? Yeah. Like a lot of companies can sit in zombie mode, you know, just as long as they have access to debt to kind of keep evading the question of whether they need to make decisions yeah. that are hard decisions. <laughs> um, and, and some people don't have appetite as, as leaders, true leaders of organizations to carry that stress. Yeah. And say instead, you know, this could actually do something. So it is interesting. It blows my mind how many companies are not cash flow positive like just that 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 fact alone there's like oh like even for you to say that about netflix like i didn't even know that and like 9.65 billion in debt the last time i looked that's they'll never earn it through subscription revenue or even through ticket prices ticket sales as they you know release stuff in cinemas if those exist for the next five years there's no way they can license their way uh to revenue that would make up for that loss but it doesn't matter because they're the brand, the platform layer brand, you yeah. know? So in that way, there's always going to be dark pools of capital available. Yeah. And the street is always going to love the stock to a certain degree. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 a huge uh, issue in, in the public markets globally and definitely in North America that like most companies are not operating on the same financial needs as uh smbs and early stage ventures yeah it's changed my mind of the type of business i want to build as well because last year or this year rather sorry we're not, we're not there yet it's still 2022 almost um i the people people group had two acquisition conversations uh, which is cool, unexpected, and and I went through those conversations from an experiential perspective. Um, but yeah, the second you take on investment, or the second you you take on an act, or you agree to be acquired, the rules of the game change completely. Um, and I think my mindset with with the people people group has always been to like build something that for the community by the community and the second you take an investment that goes away yeah you're answerable to other yeah. performance metrics yeah because they have a different agenda versus versus your own and it's just strange to me that more companies don't bootstrap like <laughs> and you, you've got a business why don't you build a business instead of a tech startup right it's build a difficult business. you know and i always have this discussion i'm constantly talking to people about the difference between um well, I, we could prototype these these identities or cohorts, but like there's entrepreneurialism, right? Which is, yay, start something, create something. That creative process is almost artistry. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, business people, the people that look at an organization as a means to generate profit and, and, and focus on that organizational structure that maximizes profit but still ensures efficient operations. Mm. And then you've got, you know, kind of startup kids or like, I guess, I don't know how to you know describe this really simply, but um, what I think North America in the last 
decade has kind of taken as the status quo for what an entrepreneur is, but it's a misnomer. It's not the real definition, which is someone who goes out and has some sort of vision. Maybe they are an entrepreneur. They can start something, but they necessarily have to take capital in order to fund the undertaking. I think that it's funny because historically North America was a bootstrap land. Yeah. Everyone who came off the boats and did whatever hardships to the people they shouldn't have, you know, Uh, but even the people that came before the original people of this land, you know, had to survive in nature. And I think this is a weird thing with the availability of debt and massive availability of capital kind of like in the last few decades in North America. um, It seems to me that people have moved away from relying on business as a means of uh, livelihood. Mm hmm. Uh, instead looking at it as a means of generating profit. And that profit isn't necessarily across the board for the whole company's balance sheet, but it's for the people who are running the company. Yeah. So if the company becomes a means of extracting profits from operations, as opposed to this whole idea of kind of like it generating profit so it can be fed back into the organization and growth can be achieved... Um, with the ultimate goal, yeah, maybe of making more profit. I think those are two different things. Yeah. So it's kind of weird because I'm seeing a whole class of, of young entrepreneurs in tech, especially, um, you know, chasing after riches that their businesses will never earn. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these exits that are almost pre-planned for a lot of people that are non-realistic in terms of their valuations. So you've got M&A and then you've got IPOs historically as the payouts. Yeah. But what those are are just funding a pyramid scheme <laughs> because you have all these investors buying into a hopeful vision of massive success. Yeah. But the success isn't, again, it's not born out of customer relationships typically. Yeah. Not to the point that would justify the investment. Yeah. And the ROI required, at least in the venture capital model, is like 100 to 1,000%. Yeah. So the only way to earn that typically is to like pass the buck down to some sucker at the end. Yeah. Very interesting for sure. But I hope that coming out of the pandemic, I've seen a, a lot of people undertake entrepreneurial, you know, ventures um, and try their hand kind of at creating business coming out of the pandemic because for whatever reason, they're sick of their career or they're burnt out at the yeah. or, you know organization that they're doing because they don't have that fifth day or they don't have time off or they don't have uh, a means of contributing yeah. outside of their the functional expectation of their job. So... I don't know. I'm hopeful that that like this may change. We may return to a kind of more bootstrappy Canada. Like I see the I see the point of it. Like I, it's necessary. It's 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 right in the right circumstances. But it was out of control. I think that this is clearly a correction, right? Because it just became. It was it was so pervasive that it just became a mechanism of betting. And I'm just going to invest a hundred million dollars in you know fifty companies, and if one of them hits, then it doesn't matter if forty nine of them fail, because there's humans behind those forty nine, and there's there's hopes and all that fun stuff. And you double click on each one of those forty nine companies that failed, and at the end of the day, if that fiftieth hits, it's it's just high level, high stakes gambling to a certain extent. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I mean, it is. That's just the state of it. Um, And also, you know, there's something to be said also for, at least in Canada, I'll say this, in the last five years, um, we had an explosion in the venture capital industry where I think there was something like, you know, a growth of maybe 
definitely 500%. Um, I'm definitely in the last five years, a growth of 500% in the amount of active uh, venture capital organizations. So five times, is that the right math? Yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Five times as many VCs exist today, or maybe six months ago, yeah. uh, as, <laughs> as existed in 2000, like whatever it was, yeah. you know, 18, let's call it. Yeah. Now on the cusp of 2023, I think it's pretty crazy because it speaks to the availability of the capital, but also the amount of capital when you aggregate it is not that much that kind of got spent on dead companies. If it was money that came from other risky investments, yeah. On the macro, it's just kind of crazy to sit back and think, whoa, there's so much money that's being invested generally in the world. Yeah. And if uh, you know a particular property market tanks, that money may get reallocated into super high risk things like what we're talking about. Yeah. That being said, my conversations with venture capitalists recently in Canada are that there hasn't been a, a net decrease in money for good companies. Mm-hmm. It's just the dumb money that came with people who had access to capital yeah. that were get rich quick kind of VCs. Like, I'm going to do this. This is going to be awesome. I'll be a VC. Yeah. Um, who aren't committing to the career of being a VC, you know, uh, and maybe didn't come from entrepreneurialism. Yeah. That will have its day yeah. and uh, its correction curve. But in terms of availability of capital to invest in, in, in really good opportunities and companies that are, are led by great leaders, yeah. um, apparently there's still opportunity out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like VC went through their own altcoin season of, you know, from a crypto perspective, like Bitcoin and Litecoin and the consistent cryptos are there and they have foundational merit, but the hundreds of thousands of cryptocurrencies that just appeared when there was a hype and just died quickly because they weren't built on anything foundational or, or novel just disappeared. So I feel like it's very, very similar market hype mm -hmm. uh, that are kind of intertwined in some interesting ways. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, fundamentally it's just about kind of capital, right? Mm. And the, the ability for people to wield capital and try and deploy financial means as opposed, like purely, as opposed to just operating businesses. Yeah. Anyway, but that's that's a whole other topic. That's a whole different. <laughs> <clears throat> um, things to watch out for then for the Slack or you know for the Slack community that you're running for the people people next year. Yeah. Um, is it something that you're going to be able to devote a little more time to? Is there are yeah. there events or anything that you're trying to put together? Yeah. So this was the first, and we like I think two weeks ago we had our first strategic planning session ever. Uh, everything up until this point has been spaghetti at the wall. <clears throat> uh, and there's like, there's 50, 60 different directions we can take things. And it's fun for me to have a lot of different irons in the fire from like a ideation perspective. But for actual what we're going to do in 2023, uh, main focus is continuous sponsorship. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, that's that worked in 2022 for us and it allowed us to take a team of like three fractional people and build it out to like 12 fractional people nice. um awesome team members that are kind of going to support the the sponsorship side as well as the community and the, the 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 content that we put out and and that sort of thing one thing we didn't do as much of last year uh partially because of the pandemic was events and there's a lot of competition on the event side, and uh, we don't want to really enter that 
part of it, but I think there is a huge opportunity to like create events dedicated to just connecting with people, not mm-hmm. networking events, but just literally like, Hey, we're all in the same profession. Let's hang out for a few hours. Right. Totally. Nothing like that kind of exists. And so, uh, we're, we're aiming to do at least four socials, um, next year. Uh, maybe I'll tap you on the shoulder for, for event space. Honestly, we should work together because we're for the gathering series, you know, to accessorize this podcast and then the two day kind of conference I'm putting together in April yeah. here at Startwell. Um, on a monthly basis, starting in January, we're going to be doing a social. Brilliant. So, yeah. you know, let's join forces. Yeah, figure it definitely out. want to talk to you about that. Cool. Uh, so events leading us to um, a conference as well two-day, three-day summit. So my business partner, Preet, he runs DesignX community. Mm. Uh, I modeled most of the early stages of the People People group after what he built um, and eventually tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, man, I'm stealing 80% of your playbook. Why don't you come help me build the rest that I don't like doing, like events? And uh, so he's been an awesome partner there. Um, And then building out sort of this fractional consulting concept. So we've piloted that. We're going to continue with that. Um, and the main focus is really just spotlighting members of the community. So, you know, the podcasts that I've done um, have focused on people outside of the community, kind mm-hmm. of bringing in knowledge, but I wanted to start doing podcasts with people from the community Awesome. as well. Um, yeah, there's a million directions. We're <laughs> ironically based off the conversation we just had, like, we're looking at building out an SPV or a special purpose vehicle for HR and recruitment people to invest collaboratively in other HR tech companies that we believe in. Uh, so we've got you know four or five deals that we're looking at, and we're going to make our first collective investment hopefully in Q1 of next year. Wow. So there's a million things going on. <laughs> it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm most excited about the, the team we've put together to kind of work on that for 2023 so yeah yeah it's been a few years so now you're at a point where you feel like the organization is is an organization it's not a project it's so so weird it's the the example i give is like i'm building a team and if that team was playing a sport let's just call it basketball at any given moment one of my players could just disappear and that's true for any business but because all of us are fractionally doing this and like some people have I've got two hours a week or I've got 10 hours a oh, week I see what you mean yeah if they get a new job or if the you know work becomes busy for them they just kind of I just have randomly have players on the field just mm-hmm. disappearing and I got to sub in some out and so it's been an interesting pendulum swing of like it was just me and a core group of two or three people and I learned a lot of lessons from that and then me pendulum swinging to like, now it's going to be 12, 15 people and folks got to put their hand up if they want to like help out on an initiative, if they want to increase their socials or work on the newsletter or plan events or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah. Any way we can support through 2023. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. It was a pleasure speaking all about the community, your thoughts on kind of, you know, the world of HR and uh, hearing a little bit about uh, about your journey also, you know? Yeah. Career-wise. No, appreciate it. Thank cool. you.